Hi, everyone. Welcome to Parenting Portal. My name is Joanna Port. I am a mom of four to Zoe, Levi, Ruby, and Ray, and I am the director at Crestwood Hills Preschool in Los Angeles. This podcast is a guided discussion between me and an expert in the field of parenting. Today's episode is called Meltdowns. Meltdowns! (laughs) I'm here with Rebecca Halford. You could think of a meltdown or a tantrum as a profound reaction of the survival part of the brain. It's been adaptive for our species to do that, to scream or cry or run when something seems dangerous. And a dysregulated parent cannot regulate a dysregulated child. They're doing that because you're the safest person they know. Hi, Rebecca. Hi. Thank you for coming. I'm so glad to be here. Rebecca Helford, MA, LMFT, earned her bachelor's degree in psychology from Brown University and her master's degree in clinical psychology with an emphasis in marriage family therapy from Pepperdine University. Rebecca has enjoyed working with children and their families in a variety of capacities, both therapeutic and non-clinical, for over 15 years. In addition to conducting weekly psychotherapy for adults in her Santa Monica-adjacent private practice, Rebecca specializes in short-term intensive parent consultation, offering both home and office visits to help families navigate developmental hiccups and get back on track. Since 2016, Rebecca has supervised and trained interns and led mindful parenting groups at Well Baby Center in Mar Vista. Learn more about Rebecca's thoughts on parenting and being human at her blog, Living in Captivity, as well as on her podcast, The Sandbox with Diane and Rebecca. I'm just going to dive right in. Dive away. Because this is a good topic and Mm -hmm. there's a lot to talk about. Why, why do children, toddlers, actually, Mm -hmm. have meltdowns? Mm. So I'm a therapist, which means I tend to answer questions with questions. Actually, I'm a Jewish therapist, so it means (laughs) I'm only really asking questions. And and so I'm going to answer your question with a question. Okay. Why do we all have tantrums? So true. Why do we all have meltdowns? I think toddlers and young children get a bad rap, uh, and they're not really allowed the space to have bad days or bad moments. And like, have you noticed driving on the road in Los Angeles that some people are having bad days and bad moments in yes. this world? So, you know, they need to be allowed to have that. So the neurobiological reasons why anybody is going to have a meltdown are the same, whether you're a tiny human or not so tiny human. They're all caused by a profound failure of our thinking brain to contain our survival brain, uh-huh. right? So if you're familiar with Dan Siegel's work, he's a tremendous local author who has earned national fame from writing about interpersonal neurobiology as it applies to children and mindfulness and such. And brain development. He's he's wonderful. He's one of my if you can hear him talk, yeah. go hear him talk, watch him on YouTube, uh, read his book, The Whole Brain Child, where he does this wonderful little gag about the brain in the palm of your hand. And if you watch that, you'll learn that the parts of our brain that think kind of give a big old hug to the parts of our brain that help us survive, that detect threat in the world, Mm -hmm. and to calm us down, right? So if we get this sense that we're not feeling safe, that the world is feeling a bit scary, 
the parts of our brain that can think, the prefrontal lobes can say, hey, now, I don't think that's really dangerous. I don't think there's really a saber-toothed tiger coming to get you. Why don't you just take a few deep breaths and move on? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes we will move on. The big problem is that those parts of the brain, the prefrontal lobes, don't come online really fully until we're about five years old. And they don't develop fully. They don't complete developing until we're about 25 years old. They're so young and so little. The the brain is so little. That's right. Now, the other bad news is that we come into this world with a fully equipped survival brain, meaning we're ready to fight, flee, or freeze in the face of a perceived attack or danger because it's been adaptive for our species to do that, to scream or cry or run when something seems dangerous. Um, Unfortunately, it's like having a car with no brakes, right? So if if your car has no brakes, you're kind of in trouble because you're going to crash. And those prefrontal lobes serve as the brakes to a small child or to anyone's gas pedal and calm down the part of us that thinks we're in a dangerous situation. For adults, we can, as Dan Siegel says, flip our lids. We can lose the capacity to calm down our survival brain with our prefrontal lobes because it's not really helpful to think hard if you need to make a split-second decision about your long-term survival. Right. And as I often tell parents in my parenting classes, our ancestors who stopped to think about whether it was a good idea to run away from a saber-toothed tiger yes. got eaten and did not pass on their genes. The ones that just took off running, those are your ancestors. So it's embedded in our programming, our evolutionary programming, to take off at the first sign of danger. So you could think of a meltdown or a tantrum as a profound reaction of the survival part of the brain in response to a threat that might be real, but is more often perceived, right? Mm -hmm. And we're going to get a lot of false positives, particularly if we're young and Life is hard. Mm -hmm. We can talk about why life might be hard for tiny humans. Yeah. Why is it so hard for them? I give them everything they need. They want and I'm here. And then they still have meltdowns. They take and they take and they give and it's not good enough. They don't have to pay taxes. They don't have to sit in traffic. They don't know how good they have Why is life so hard for them? I know. I I mean, it becomes this thing. So a big part of what I do as a mindful parenting group facilitator is not just to tell parents what to do, because I assume that once they're coming to me for help, they've read the books, they've listened to the podcast, they've done the things, tips, tricks, and gizmos are not going to work, but they need a more mindful perspective on what's going on. You can do all the things in the order that the book says to do them, but if you're not aware of what's going on inside you and your system, Mm -hmm. if your threat system is going off and your lid has flipped, right? If you're in survival mode, you're not going to be able to respond mindfully and a dysregulated parent cannot regulate a dysregulated child. And a dysregulated child triggers parents so quickly and so easily. It's sort of like a very universal, very common. Right. Yes. Right. And so, you know, as I was thinking about coming in here today to Mm -hmm. speak with you and the questions you uh, were going to talk to me about, what are meltdowns? How do we respond? What should you do? What shouldn't you do? You know, this is stuff parents are probably out there taking notes. They're ready to go. And I kind of want to pause and ask more questions as I you know, kind of set myself up to do. 
and say, you know, parents out there listening right now, stop for a moment. And, you know, if you're driving, pull over. You know, I don't want you to like get into a crash. I want you to think about what it is that bothers you so much when your child is having a meltdown. What what gets your goat? What do you notice on the inside? Where do you feel that feeling? Do you get transported somewhere in a time machine back into your own past? What do you know from your own experience about how very big feelings were handled and held in family life? Mm-hmm. And and if you're so if you're so inclined, I want to invite you to actually pause the podcast at this point and go think about it. Because the truth is, you know, Joanna and I are going to have a great conversation about like, hey, what to do? Do this thing. Do that thing. It's awesome. Hooray. Because I, I love kids in Meltdown. They're so raw. They're so real. You don't see that kind of realness anywhere outside of a parenting group because everyone's so tucked in. But if you're not in touch with, if you're not in touch with what it's doing to you and where your child's dysregulation is sending you into dysregulation, um, you might as well be listening to talk radio right now. You might yeah. as well be listening to top 40 hits because it's not it's not going to help. And so usually the surprising piece of most of my parenting classes, the mindful parenting groups and the, and the therapy and the consulting work I do with parents is how does this tie in with your own personal experience growing up and what you learned in your family? That's mm-hmm. the part that people don't expect. And that's the information that can really stand to make a difference. Not all information is of equal value in this work. So here's the time to pause the podcast. Go ahead and pause. And, and also, we're back. <laughs> and also to add to that is, do you feel angry? Yep. Do you feel lost? Mm-hmm. Do you feel confused? Do you feel powerless? Do you, powerless. Do you feel frustrated? Mm-hmm. Do you feel irritated? Mm-hmm. Those are all right. just saying it out loud. Do you feel re- defensive? Yeah. Confronted? Undermined? Confused? Scared? Helpless? Scared, yeah. Sad? You, you probably feel like, please stop, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and I, Worried about what other people are thinking. Yes. That's a big D- judged. one. Yeah. Yeah, judged. And I remember as when my kids would have meltdowns, especially with my first, I kind of lost a sense of myself. Like mm. I would lose myself mm. and not feel confident in my parenting skills. They would like go out the door when, when in a logical moment, I could say, do this, do this, do this. But in the moment of a meltdown, I literally would go kind of blank. It's, mm. It was a very weird feeling. Anyway, <clears throat> let's go back. This is a really good thing to be mindful of yourself. Right. Yeah. Well, first of all, going back to the brain and the palm yes. of your hand, we can't think when we're under stress. And in fact, going back to the ancestors who got eaten, it's actually not evolutionarily adaptive to think when you're under stress. So you have millions of years of evolution conditioning you not to think when you're under stress. So no matter what you're doing, the first and very best thing you can do when you're starting to notice, oh, I'm feeling pulled, I'm feeling lost in this moment, is to take one deep breath with a very long exhale, right? Possibly three deep breaths. The long exhale is a hack for your nervous system to tell it you're okay. When we start to panic, we start to have like these (laughs) kind of like short breaths with longer inhales, Mm -hmm. and that tells our nervous system, danger, danger. So it's the, (sighs) Mm -hmm. that 
can give you a fighting chance of getting back on track. I want to go back to your question about mm-hmm. what what do they have to complain about? They got everything. They got all the toys and the things and we're taking good care of them. What? Why is life so hard for these tiny little humans? So imagine this, right? You're a baby and all of your needs, you have maybe five or so different needs, right? Like you're hungry, you're wet, you're tired, you want to play, maybe you're sick, and maybe no one knows. So maybe six possible. Maybe you're overworked. Overstimulated. Overstimulated, Great. So seven or so different needs. Yeah. Mommy and daddy, if you have a fairly attuned, good enough caregiving system, or mommy and mommy, or daddy and daddy, or grandma and grandpa, whoever's caring for you, if they're reasonably attuned, you know, paying attention, you know, 30% of the time, which is about all you really need, they're going to magically meet that need. You don't need to tell them. You can't. You're a baby. How yeah. would you tell them? So you cry a particular way, you wiggle your body in a particular way, and in comes the bottle or in comes the breast. And magically, all your needs are met. Now, it's not the same as being in the womb, which is there's no room for discomfort. Right. All of your needs are instantly met. Perfect temperature, radio is always on the right channel. It's great. But being a baby is okay, the next best thing. Everyone is instantly meeting your needs. You don't even have to communicate them. There's very few things you can want or need. It's perfect, right? 72 and sunny all the time. Then you get to be about a year old. You can move around. The world starts to get a little bigger. And then there's more things you see that you want. Especially when you go from crawling to walking. Oh, it is Imagine a the vision change. <laughs> it's a revolution. Uh-huh. And that is the beginning of the birth of the self. And a self has things it wants and likes and doesn't want and doesn't like. And... All of a sudden, this world that was meant for me, right? It, the world comes to me, brings me the, the milk and the swaddle and the clean diaper. It just comes magically. All of a sudden, the world is full of these invisible boundaries that you're constantly tripping over. And you're getting told no. And you're getting moved around when you really want to be over here. And you're being told to sit when you don't want to sit. And you're being told to eat this thing that looks pretty yucky. And uh, <laughs> all of a sudden... Things aren't so fun anymore. And you get frustrated because A, your needs and wants are much more complicated and they can't be met. Uh, and B, you're encountering a lot of really hard boundaries in the world and realizing that it's not just made for you. There's more things and people in it than you ever knew before. And that's really a hard pill to swallow. And I think the third big thing that you're dealing with is disappointment. Mm-hmm. Right, that you can't, as as the Rolling Stones so wisely said, you can't always get what you want, mm-hmm. um, and that can really feel like death to mm-hmm. a small child. That is the death of all possible joy I have ever had. I think it's really hard to believe that the tears that you see coming out of a two year old when you tell them they can't have that cookie or that that toy is not available, those tears are real. They are not fake crying. Those aren't crocodile tears. That's not a show for you. That's mourning. That's a funeral, okay? Big emotions. And right. it takes over your whole brain. That's right. So there's no way you can think when nope. you're in that state of mind nope. or be logical. Nope. And the first thing that many well-intended parents want to do is make it stop to make their child be happy in that moment. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I get that. I I really understand from the core of my being, because I am also a parent, how uncomfortable and painful it is when your children are uncomfortable and in pain and unhappy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's yucky. 
And at the same time, I know from my work and I know from my my core that there's tremendous goodness in helping children navigate that disappointment and come through to the other side with their goodness intact. Mm -hmm. They're not wrong for being disappointed by disappointing things, even if it's something I might not be disappointed by because I'm not too, Mm -hmm. right? Like I know there will be another cookie. I know there will be another toy. They don't know that. They They're don't stuck. have that built in their brain where they can look in the past or the future. Right. Nothing. They're like goldfish, right? <laughs> They're in the present moment, which is a beautiful thing, which means everything goes to 11. If you've seen the movie Spinal Tap, right? Yeah. They just they go to 11 immediately. They don't pass go. They don't collect $200. And I think another reason why things are so rough for tiny humans is that they are really caught between being big and little. They just got done being babies. And a part of them is like, I'm big. I can do big. Me do it self. No, mommy. Me Mm -hmm. do it. Me do it. But at the same time, they're still really dependent. They're not helpless, but they are dependent. They can't go to the grocery store and buy their favorite snack. (laughs) They don't pay the rent. They don't get to decide where they live. They don't get to decide if a new baby might show up, which can make this even more tricky. They don't get to decide when they have dinner, what they have for dinner. You know, all of these things. And So they're pretty small on the one hand, too. And they're stuck in the middle. And they can be both at the same time or in rapid sequence. And I guarantee you, if you push on one, if you tell a child, like, well, you need to be a big boy about this, that's a surefire way to provoke a meltdown. Like, you asked me, what are some things not to do? Don't tell a child they're so big and they should be beyond this, because they'll be like, oh, really? Well, let me show you. (laughs) I I don't mean it in that malicious of a way. But they do need to show you, but uh, I'm not big. A part Mm -hmm. of me is not. A part of me is, and a part of me is not. Just like a part of all of us is big, and a part of all of us is not. Going back to the beginning, that we all have meltdowns and we all have tantrums. But to them, the world really is not safe. No. And they don't have the language either to like tell you about their day Mm -hmm. and say, oh, this happened at school, then this happened at my friend's house, and then somebody took my cookie, and then my favorite teacher was in there. And so by the end of the day, often, or when they see their parents, it's like, oh, Mm. all that comes out, because they've been kind of holding it together sometimes. That's right. I've heard that called the post-school restraint collapse. I've never heard that, post-school restraint restraint collapse. collapse. Because if you think about it, No matter how much you love your teachers, and I hope your kid does love their teachers, and I hope your kid's teachers love them, like the way Joanna, like the way you love all of your kids at school, because I I don't care if a kid leaves preschool not knowing their ABCs, one, two, threes. I don't care if they don't know which shoe goes on what foot, but if they know that they are loved and lovable, they've, and if they know how to start to solve problems with friends and navigate their feelings, that's the work of being in preschool. But no matter how good a job teachers are of creating that safe social emotional learning environment for children, a teacher is not a parent or a primary caregiver. They are not the safe person to whom they can show all their messy, mixed up, yucky, junky, cruddy insides. Mm -hmm. So you're going to get it as the parent. And parents will often say to me, this probably means I'm a terrible parent and that they love the nanny more or that they love their teachers more because I'm getting this junk. Why am I getting this junk when all I, all I do is this and that? And I have to really reframe it and say, no, they're doing that because you're the safest person they know. You don't go showing all your messy inside bits to just anybody. And if you do, you become that person. You're like, oh, 
okay, I better avoid that person. You know, most of us kind of keep it pretty tucked in Mm -hmm. and we have our safe people. We have our our best friends. We have our spouse or partner. We have a, a parent of our own or maybe a therapist. And those are the people we show the messy bits to. It's funny you say, you know, they, they don't have the words to tell us what happened. And parents will say to me, oh, I just can't wait till they have the words to tell me what they want. And, and I say, look, I've been working with adults in therapy for over a decade. And I can tell you for certain that just because they have the words doesn't mean they will know how to tell you what's wrong. It's either. so true. It's Ugh. so true. Yeah. We don't know. We don't know what hurts. We don't don't never ask kids why. Why? Why are you mad? What, why are you crying? They don't Never. know. Uh-uh. They really don't know. But but in terms of what to do, you can say, I see you're crying. Something made you cry. I'm right here. I'm right here with you. I see those big, big tears. Well, let's go into that. What, what can I do when my child is having a meltdown? Take three deep breaths. Okay. Take three deep breaths. And like, I don't know, rely on your higher power, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever it is that helps guide you in moments of extreme stress, because mm-hmm. you need it. These moments, uh, going back to Dan Siegel, he talks about moments like these triggering the shark music. You know, if you've ever seen the movie Jaws, yeah. you know, right? He says, turn down the shark music, because these moments can become larger than life if we allow our own internal dialogue to carry us away. So so before the tantrum even starts, you know, do some mindful reflection on your own time. Read Dan's terrific book with Mary Hartzell, Parenting from the Inside Out. Do the exercises in there. Come see a professional like me if you're feeling persistently activated by what goes on with your child. Because you want to be proactive, not reactive, right? Being reactive is a guaranteed way to throw gasoline on the fire of a melting down child's experience, right? So that's the pregame show. So now you have a child who's having a meltdown. Can you give me a real life example, Joanna? Yes. Maybe something you saw today at school. I can give you a million. <laughs> Great. I know. I could give you one from this morning. Like I, but let's let's pick a juicy one. A juicy one. Um, a little boy lost his turn on the bike because he purposefully crashed into another kid. Oh. So we said, "You've lost your turn," and sure enough, he had a complete and utter meltdown. Wow. Yes. So you have you have kind of a, a multifaceted situation here because the meltdown was in response to a limit being held. A loving limit, a limit that was held in service of safety. And, yes. and meltdowns can occur in response to a limit, right? That's, that's often when a limit happens is because a child is encountering the hard limits of reality and it don't feel good. It's like running into a brick wall, Yeah, you know, ow. It, it it's going to hurt, not because there's anything wrong with a brick wall, but because running into brick walls is, is painful. So this little boy ran into a brick wall. So first thing first, you can acknowledge exactly what he wanted and what he didn't get. You wanted a turn on that bike and you didn't get a turn because you crashed into someone's body and the teacher said, you couldn't have a turn if you crashed into someone's body. So like, that's what happened. Now, hopefully you're not doing this to a child who's freaking out. Let's rewind even farther. If the okay. child is freaking out right there in saber-toothed tiger mode, yeah, you got to hang out, 
You just got to hang out. Let them have their feelings. What else are you going to do? I mean, parents will be like, well, should I just like let them cry? And I'm like, what else would you do? Yeah. You know, like I, I go back to this moment. I, I, I was in Europe traveling a long time ago when I was a much younger person. Um, and we had a bag stolen in Belgium. So we like trot into the Brussels police office and we make our little report and we stand there and the gendarme is like, okay, merci, you know, and we're like, well, you know, aren't you going to do something? And the gendarme looks at us and he's like, do? There is nothing to do. <laughs> and I think about that, like, so your kid's having a big feeling and their parents like, well, should I just let them cry? And I'm like, there is nothing to do. You, <laughs> what can, you cannot make them happy. You know, you can, you, and parents, well, this is where they come in with, oh, I've got a toy over here. Don't you want to try this other thing? Or la, la, la. No, they need to mourn the thing. They mm. need to have their funeral for the thing. And a funeral is not complete without tears and wailing and gnashing of teeth and maybe some rending of clothes and some flopping on the floor. Like this is a, this is a big deal. He has to mourn and grieve that thing. So, so you have to sit with it. You got to hang and out. Let them, and let them go. And I haven't find parents will over talk in that moment you know you know the rules the rules were we set them yesterday you know the rules don't about be upset the bag. i All can't tolerate your feelings yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. who yeah. is that talk for you're wasting your energy because yeah. the kids are not able to hear it no that sounds like this <laughs> snoopy snoopy i know it's it's not and look like get it yeah but but here's the thing reasons plus bad feeling do not equal good feeling. Right. Right. And I tell parents this, let's say you're getting ready to go to your favorite restaurant and you've been excited all day long because you're going to go and you're going to have the penne arrabbiata or whatever your favorite thing is. You've been looking for it and all day you've been thinking about it. And you're like, you had a cruddy day at work, but that's okay because you were going to have your penne arrabbiata and you get to the restaurant and you're like, hey, so glad I'm here can I please have the penne arrabbiata? And he goes, oh, I'm so sorry. We're all out. Now, what's going to make you feel better in that moment? Option A, you know, our tomato supplier has just been totally out of whack. And, you know, we were going to get some tomatoes in, but then they didn't come in. And then uh, all our pasta went bad. That makes and that's me what, feel irritated, Rebecca. Right? Yeah. Do you ever want to come back to that <laughs> restaurant no, again? No. no, no, no. Option two. I know, man. I love it too. Yeah, I was going to have it on my lunch break. I was so annoyed that we didn't have it. That feels so good. It's better, right? Yeah. So reasons don't help. They don't help us either, okay? Because people are people. Relating is relating. So if you're going to be relating to a child or an adult, this works with whoever, right? So try it the next time at work, too. If someone's like, you didn't get me these things on time, don't go with reasons, man. Like, yeah, you know, I, I wanted to get them done too. I'm so, I'm disappointed that I didn't get them to you also. Yeah. So with this, this little person. Stick with. Stick with the feeling. Ride that roller coaster with them. Because if you don't, and you're trying to talk them through it and reason them through it, the subtle communication is, I can't tolerate this big disappointed feeling and neither can you. All we can do is run. And the subtle messaging of that leads to a really slippery slope of avoidance of big feelings. And when you can't tolerate a big feeling, you got to reach for something to help you get through it. You got to reach for your phone. You got to reach for some food. You got to reach for a show. Mm -hmm. You got to reach for drugs or alcohol. You got to reach for sex when you're older. Mm -hmm. Like 
you're communicating to a child big mm-hmm. feelings are something that we can't deal with. So with you sitting with it, you're teaching them how to sit with their feelings. You are training the- their brain. Mm-hmm. You are like their personal trainer mm-hmm. for brain strength and helping them bring their frontal lobes back online and giving them that promise, this feels yucky, we'll feel better again soon. I'm here with you. That's all we really want. And I'm okay too. I'm I'm going to get through this is tough. This is this is so tough. I'll just say this is tough because I I'm not saying you're having a tough time or I'm having a tough time, but this is objectively tough. Like we're all having a tough time mm-hmm. here. This is t- it's tough for me to see you having such a tough time. This is so tough. So that's something you can say, this is so tough. There's a lot of big feelings right now. I'm really disappointed. Yeah, it's so, so so tough. Mm -hmm. And we're going to hang out. We're going to go slow and we're going to get low, Mm -hmm. right? So we're going to speak to the primitive parts of the brain that are in charge at the moment. So if the the saber-toothed tiger part of the brain is in charge, I want to talk to that part of the brain. That part of the brain responds to body language, tone of voice, prosody, which is the way we make our voices sing, right? Like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to get low. I'm going to get at or below eye level. Because if you've ever had someone stare down at you, you'll know it's a really uncomfortable experience. And our evolution, again, programmed that into us. Because something that's bigger than you, that looks down at you, is probably trying to eat you. Mm-hmm. So whether or not we're actually trying to eat that child, I hope you're not. But with, if we stand above him and look down, it's going to make him feel even more threatened and it's going to make it even more difficult for him to calm. So I'm going to get down at or below eye level. You have to have good knees to do this work, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm going to slow down my voice. I'm going to take the volume way down. And I'm going to use what Chris Voss, who is a career FBI hostage negotiator, calls the late night FM DJ voice. <laughs> it's soothing. It's mm-hmm. calm. It's a little authoritative, right? Because It's like all business. Yeah, it's yeah. a little business, but it's soft. Soft. And this is so hard. Mm-hmm. This is really hard. And I'm just going to use... The, this is the tools that I'm using to kind of massage the 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 bad feelings. Um, I'm not going to try to do change, fix, help, teach, correct, or instruct. That That is not the time. The part of the brain that can hear that stuff has left the building, okay? Elvis has left the building on that one. We're talking to the survival part of the brain. And we really can't do much else until that child is ready to move on. We could try a pivot. I don't distract children because I think that's disrespectful. I wouldn't try to distract an adult, so I'm not going to distract a child. That also promotes distractibility. We already live in a highly distracted culture. We don't need more help with that. But I am interested in pattern interrupts and pivots. A pattern interrupt might be, I kind of feel like singing a song. I think I'm going to sing Old MacDonald. You know, maybe start singing a song to myself. Or I might, like, let's say this kid and I have a little inside joke. I Mm -hmm. might be like, you know what? I'm thinking about garbage trucks. You Mm -hmm. know, like maybe we have a little joke about garbage trucks. Or maybe I might just be like, like make a little silly noise or something. Mm-hmm. Children will tell you if they're not ready to pivot to humor. They'll be like, okay, all right, that's fine. We, we, we just need to keep going. Yeah. And how do you know they're ready to start 
letting go? Well, I, I think of it like the cycle of grief, right? If you know about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's mm-hmm. stages of grief, mm-hmm. DABDA, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. So for a child, what does that look like? Denial. No, I want the bike. I got to turn it with my turn to have the bike. Right? No. Real- the, the limit that you have enforced is not real. Anger. You're going to see foot stomping, red in the face, breath holding, floppy floundering on the floor. Mouth wide open. Mouth wide open. <laughs> Bargaining. Just five minutes. Just five. Just one turn. I just, will never do it again. I promise. I promise. Right? Bargaining. Yep. Pleading. And eventually that gives way to tears. Right. That's the that's depression. Mm-hmm. And the tears, if you know, like if you've ever had a good cry, you know, it makes you feel better. There's neurochemical reasons for that. The tears that we cry actually are they they are healing tears. They mean that the child is coming into acceptance of the reality that has been laid down. That brick wall that he ran into, he's realizing it's not going anywhere. And mm-hmm. the tears are a sign that he's beginning to accept that. He doesn't like it and he doesn't have to. Mm-hmm. The tears are good. And I tell parents, like when you get to tears, you know they're starting to come into a place of acceptance and it's not far from there until you get... <laughs> <sighs> yeah. When you get to somewhere near there, then you can start talking about what happened. And you can tell the story from beginning to end with no bad guys, no good guys, no victims, no bullies. But what did people want? What did they like? What did they not like? And what happened? Sort of the concrete details of it. You know, Susie was riding on her bike. And and then I saw you get on your bike and go crash into Susie. And then teacher, teacher, Betty came over and said, you couldn't have your turn anymore because we're not allowed to hurt people's bodies. And that means you don't get to ride the bike if you've hurt someone's body. And then you really, really didn't like that. And you still really wanted to ride the bike. And I think you really wish you hadn't crashed on, into Susie. And, uh, and then we sat here for a while. And now you're feeling better. <laughs> yeah, it's so tough. <laughs> It's so I like to, I like words like tough and tricky because mm-hmm. they don't assign blame and they acknowledge there's a lot going on here. Um, another way to like throw gasoline on the fire of the tantrum is to try to assign blame, to try to get to try to make a child feel bad about what they did as a way of getting coercive control. You know, children are working on their empathic skills. They're working on building that perspective taking and the ability to understand other people's points of view. And we might need to help them along with that. You know, I think, I think uh, let's look over and see what Susie's face is looking like. Mm-hmm. I see, I see tears on Susie's face. Hmm. Oh, and I see there's, I see that a teacher is bringing her a washcloth for her knee. It looks like her knee is a little red. Hmm. It looks like her body might be a little hurt. I think it's time for us to go over and check in and make sure her body is okay. What do you think we can do to help? Now, none of that was this kid's idea. I'm giving him a chance to offer his collaborative input about what we can do to help. But I'm I'm helping him learn what to do. How do we make amends? How do we repair? We don't. I don't do drive-by sorries. They are worthless to me mm-hmm. um, because, as I say to my four-year-old, the best apology is a change in behavior, 
I, I don't really care if you say sorry. I care if you're going to make amends and if you're going to try to do something different next time, because that's that's what's showing me you really care. You really care about other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to help you learn to hold on to an impulse to do something forbidden, even if you really, really want to. That's mm-hmm. another piece of why things are so difficult for children at this age. They have a really hard time refraining from doing forbidden things, even when you've told them a hundred million thousand times. And even if they refrained yesterday, they might not refrain today. Those prefrontal lobes are still building that capacity to organize the self and to say, you know what? Remember what happened last time we crashed into Susie on the bike? Didn't work out so well for anybody. Let's rethink that plan. After a tantrum, after a meltdown, once you're sitting there kind of doing the post-game show, right? Yeah. The, the Monday morning quarterbacking, that's a great time to say, gosh, I wonder what we could do differently next time. Yeah. And I wonder if there's anything we need to do now to make things right again mm-hmm. and to get back to get back together with all of our friends and teachers so that we can enjoy the rest of our day and invite the kid to problem solve with you. So that's a lot. And yeah. And I, it depends on their age. Totally. That's like a three, four, five-year-old kind yeah, of moment there. When they're 18 months and two. Oh, God. You, the Just reflecting feelings is really all you need to do. And so just be tough. empathic and just that's it. You don't need to solve it nope. right away. And just being able to be there present is showing we're good. You're going to be good. Yeah. We're going to get through this. It's I'm like right here. so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much goodness in that. Um, I read somewhere that you know, it's no wonder that teenagers, when they're having a bad day or feeling rotten, they go and lock themselves in their rooms because they've learned from a young age that when they're having big, tough feelings, they're going to be left alone. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. If we can help our children know as young as possible, I can bear it. I can bear it with you. I might cry too. Yeah. I might cry if my child is having a particularly tough time because it's so painful to see my child in pain, in emotional pain. That's okay. And that's actually a beautiful thing for them to see too. Mommy and daddy and mommy and mommy and daddy and daddy, we all have feelings, you know? And we um, can't be perfect every time. Like we're going to have moments where we lose our patience that's right. as a parent. There's no way you can do it 100% of the time. And no. I tell parents... Those moments when you lose it and you flip your lid also, it's okay. You'll repair later and you'll just snuggle later and say, oh, I really lost my patience before at the park when you didn't want to leave and I had we had to go. Oh, that was tough for me. I don't like how that went. What do you think we should do differently next yeah. time? I think parents get afraid that that's going to undermine their authority. Mm-hmm. And a lot of folks came from a, a background where authority came from fear. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if that was your background, it's important to look at that because fear and respect, fear and authority are not the same thing. You can apologize to your child. I don't mean apologize for parenting, like, I'm sorry it's bedtime, or I'm sorry you can't right. have the cookie. Like, no, you can't have the cookie and I know it's hard, right? Yeah. We can empathize without apologizing. I mean, you can apologize for being a jerk to your kid. Because sometimes we're all jerks to our kids. And the goal is not to not be a jerk to your kid. The goal is to be a jerk uh, maybe 70% of the time and 30% of the time to say, I'm so sorry I was a jerk. That was not nice of me. Because guess what? Sometimes I say stuff to my kid 
that if anyone else said to my kid, I would deck them. Yes. You know? So I don't want to treat them, and I don't want to make them think it's acceptable for them to be treated in ways that are unacceptable. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean I'm not going to be like, stop it, sometimes, Mm -hmm. or, you know, say something I wish I hadn't. And there are these beautiful opportunities in those moments to, those conversations can go both ways. I'll give you an example. Um, so I have I have a four year old and a one year old, so that means about a year ago a bomb detonated in my four year old's life. Totally right, and yeah. like exploded the world as she knew it. It was you know it was an interesting oddity for about a week, and then all hell broke loose, right. and she fell down on the floor and said, I don't want us to be a family of four. I want us to be only three. I want Poppy to go back into the bassinet. I don't like this, and. And I just, I broke down and cried and I said, I'm so sorry, honey. You're, you're right. You're right. You didn't ask for any of this. Mm-hmm. You didn't ask to have a baby sister. You didn't ask to have to share a room with a baby. You didn't ask to have a baby come in and mess everything up and make you have to share your mommy and daddy in ways you never had to before. I am so, so sorry. Mm-hmm. And I cried. And she looked at me and she's like, mommy, you're crying. And I'm like, yeah, I'm crying. She's like, mommy, you're having big feelings too. I said, yeah, I, I am. Mm-hmm. She's like, okay, I feel better, you know. All of this is teaching that feelings, big feelings are okay. Feelings. And it's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be disappointed. It's okay to have, life is not perfect. Oh, no. And it's so, it's so good. All this is such good teaching. Yeah. We unfortunately have to stop because yeah. of the time. And there's so much more to talk about. I could talk about meltdowns all day. Me too. Long Why? Is, I. Me too. Yeah, I love and it. I run too. towards them. Like you know how most people run away from burning buildings, but firefighters run toward them. Yes, that's like me, but for tantrums. Yes, I do too. I don't know why. I could talk to you forever. This was like really good and really helpful. I learned so much myself, and I love talking to you. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, you're on so Parenting welcome. Portal. I really appreciate it's it. It's been such a pleasure talking. Will you come to back you. another time? I can't wait. What yeah. What are we going to talk about next time? I don't know. Let's t- let's let's duke it out. We're going to figure, figure it out. Yes. All right. I'll see you next time. Yes. Thanks for joining us. If you have questions you'd like answered on the podcast, email me at joanna at parentingportal.com. If you want to learn more about our experts or to schedule a consult with me or a speaking engagement, or you just have a parenting question you need answered, go to parentingportal.com. And remember, parenting is so, so hard. Give yourself a break. You're doing a great job. And do something for yourself today. Today.